This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us is here. And now, here's your host. And we are back. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. And my name is Matt Caraccio. And the summer seminar series keeps rolling along. And I cannot wait to bring on a guest who I not only am uh, am I a fan of his timeline and all of his insightful thoughts on his Twitter account, which he'll be sharing later, but also of his podcast, The The Sport Psych Show. I am just privileged to welcome on Daniel Abrams, sports psychologist, consultant, and author, blogger, and podcaster, former pro golfer. I mean, Daniel, your your list of accolades uh, is just tremendous. I, I welcome to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. Hey Matt, it's an absolute honor and delight and pleasure to be invited. So uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to having a chat. I mean, Daniel, I'm just going to start off. I mean, you've written books that start with words like golf tough, uh, soccer brain, soccer tough one and two, and I mean, I know. I know your trade is in sports psychology and for, for, for everybody out there that may not even be familiar with your work or just getting familiar with your work, what is it that you do as a sports psychologist? Where do you fit within the landscape of performance for high, high level athletes? Well, look, I, I think uh, I think that's a great first question. You throw me a. I'll tell you why you throw me a curveball because every every uh, podcast I ever do, um, people say, "Well, introduce yourself and introduce your background." So I was all ready to launch into the failed golfing career that I had. That I had. But look, it, it, it's a great question, and it's something actually. Um, that the sporting landscape struggles to answer. Where does a sports psychologist uh, fit into all of this? And as a sports psychologist, I would say I predominantly work at the adult elite level, so at the very top level of sport, um, working with professional competitors. Um, and when I do so, I'm often working with, I might be working with an individual competitor from an individual sport like golf, you know, which I know, like the back of my hand, having competed in golf, but I uh, also work in, in tennis and other in, other individual sports. Uh, and if I do so, I'll work with that individual competitor and alongside a coach quite often or within that competitor's team of people around them. And then obviously, if I'm working um, with uh, a club or a team, so I do a lot of work in soccer here in uh, England, in Great Britain, um, and uh, I'll fit in where I have to fit in, where my remit suggests. So at the moment, I work with AFC Bournemouth in the Premier League, and I actually function predominantly in the medical department. So I work with players in that medical department and sports science department um, I work one-to-one with those players. I'll work with the physios and the strength and conditioning coaches, the sports scientists. But look, I'll also work with the coaching staff as well. So I venture out onto the pitch and I'll watch training uh, and I'll feed back. I'll feed back my thoughts on the psychosocial elements of that training session, which will also uh, bring in some skill acquisition stuff as well Um, because I think as a sports psychologist you can be quite multidisciplinary it's relevant to skill acquisition as well Um, and hey I can also work on an organization level as well so I've worked at boardroom level at sporting teams sporting organizations so uh, individual team group organization Parents, I work with parents as well. So there's a whole raft. I'm a pretty busy guy, hey, Matt. So there's a whole raft of things that you can do and not forgetting the medical, the sports scientists, the strength and conditioning coaches as well. Well, you know what I think is so fascinating? It sounds like you wear so many hats that you're almost a liaison to so many different people and so many different disciplines. It, It actually leads me to a discussion point that came up on a recent podcast that was phenomenal with Dr. Fergus Connolly, and you were talking about literally the idea about psychology being omnipresent when it comes to athletes. And it, it sounds like from your previous comment that that's very much the case because of just all the different kind of lanes on the roadway that you have to be traveling in between. Can you kind of maybe unpack that concept of 
psychology being omnipresent, not only on the field, off the field. Where does it, where does it, what do you mean by that? Where does that fit? Hey, well, in very simple terms, psych social. So I, I'd add the social side as well. The psychological and social sides are always happening. As, as you say, Fergus used this term omnipresent, which was very posh of him. Um, but he's basically, he's basically saying, look, it's always happening. And I just think this is such an important notion because I think this is so often ignored. Let's, let's say by coaches, and I'm not blaming coaches here. I've been a coach. I was a, after I realized I wasn't going to be able to compete with Tiger Woods. I actually coached, I, I did my PGA qualifications here in England and I coached golf. And we in coaching are so socialized into the tech tack sides of our sports. Um, and I think, and the end into the outcome size, the winning and the losing. We're so socialized into those areas, the performance size, the tech tack, the outcome side, that we, we often forget that we forget the psychological and social sides but you know what psych social is always happening look at it this way here in here in england we have a fantastic um football association so if i use the term football i'm talking about soccer apologies to, to everybody there but uh, i'll use the term soccer but we have a the english football association use what they call a four corner model with their coaches so when they're doing their coaching cpds their continuing professional development courses which are really the world leading here i have to say they will tend to use a four corner model so if your audience can picture in the top left hand corner the tech tack side of the game the top right the physical side the bottom left the psychological the bottom right the social side and and what the how that translates is that when coaches are delivering their sessions, their activities, they start to use this language of I'm covering the technical corner. I'm covering the physical corner here. Oh, can I cover the psychological corner? And it's like, no, stop. No, let's deconstruct that model. For me, the reality is psychosocial is happening all the time. So actually, if your audience here can uh, use the power of visualization and actually imagine that let's deconstruct that model and actually let's say that the psychosocial is driving the technical, tactical and physical sides of the game. Um, the, 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 nobody's denying the tech tack and physical sides. That's like denying the sun and the moon and the side and, and the sky. But the, the, the technical side is driven by focus, mental intensity, positive intent, uh, communication, listening skills, directive coaching, and non-directive coaching, all the kind of coaching words that you might think of. So it's the tactical side. You know, what is, what is, uh, tactics without having the capacity to get across the tactical side to help players either recognize or memorize the tactical side what about physicality physicality we can work really hard in the gym we can work really hard on the pitch or the, the court but our capacity to deliver physically will be mediated by stress and anxiety and focus and confidence and control as in as in self-regulation so so our capacity to execute technically tactically physically to me is mediated by psychosocial our capacity to learn tech tech and physical is mediated by psychosocial and the last thing i say on this little thing here is i have a psychosocial model that I, I I deliver when I when I'm standing in front of a, an audience, and at the top of that tech tech, sorry, at the top of that psychosocial model of coaching, is this the three P's. I think that every single coach on the planet needs to or is invested in these three P's. The three P's being participation, progression, and performance. Participation being. I, as a coach, need to engage my players or have my players engage in what we're doing here. So I need to help my players participate. And hey, that might be with your under eights, where you make it fun and you make it about teamwork and you make it about physical literacy. But these players have to engage and I have to engage them in a certain way. They have to engage with me. Progression, as in skill development 
as in progressing my game, as in developing tactical understanding or whatever it might be. So that's the second P. And then performance. And performance might be less so, if I may say, for, say, an under eights, but obviously more so if you're at the adult elite level, right? But every single coach on the planet, by and large, is engaged in these three Ps. And these three Ps are very psychosocial driven. So we've got the psychosocial at the bottom, driving technical, tactical, physical, which drive participation progression performance and if your audience can envision that i think that's really important can every single coach sit down and have psychosocial in mind when they are working out the activities they want to do that i think is imperative in my opinion well i mean there's so many different ways to go with that discussion because that was so rich in terms of the content that I think I'm going to be unpacking it myself later on after I have to listen to this because I think there's so many different elements to what you said that I think are really fantastic. And I, and I think I would love to, to maybe take it closer to the field and really look at it maybe from that player's perspective and maybe from your experiences working with players, how you might have seen manifestations of you know, the, the psych social connection all really kind of playing out in terms of performance, because I do think as to your point earlier, you know, we live in this kind of performance driven, uh, outcome day and age when we're talking about the highest of levels and where does that take you when you're working with the elite athletes, where does that, where do you fit in that discussion within this model of participation progression and performance where do you find you have to interject and and how do you as work with your players to begin to understand that how do you begin to talk about those mental skills that you really work on yeah it's you know what it's a great question and i think uh, to unpack this maybe what i'll do is i'll start with performance because that's what we all love right we love talking about right. performance and 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 so um i obviously these things are sports specific. So talking about the psychology of, of golf, whilst there might be similarities, would be different to talking about the psychology of, of soccer, which would be different to talking about the psychology of baseball. And let me be clear, of course, there are similarities. And I'll certainly use some terms that I'll use across sports. You know, one is a is a game face, which is a technique I have that I'd use. I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute, but I'll use across sports. But what it's important to recognize, and if I may, let's let's take a sport like soccer. But if that's not your bag, you might be focusing on basketball here, for instance, because they're both team invasion sports uh, that work very quickly. Um, that feel quite instinctive. That's all about manipulation of space and and timing and 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 um, positioning and movement. So they're quite similar. Um, and, and, and instinctive is quite important word here because I actually get a lot of people say to me, how could you work in soccer? How can you work in baseball? Because they work so quickly. They're very instinctive. And the first thing to help certainly coaches understand is that whilst a sport like soccer or a sport like baseball will work in seconds, you know, it takes a second to pass the ball, to give away the ball, to score a goal or to, to, to score a basket, um, Whilst these sports work in seconds, they're quick sports, the brain and the nervous system work in milliseconds. So the brain and the nervous system trump these sports for speed every single time, you know, and hey, we could take a sport like golf that might appear a sedentary sport, but don't you forget, you've got someone like Tiger Woods who clocked the fastest swing speed in the world last year at 129 miles an hour. So he's doing that in about a second and a half. Now I can assure you, having been a pro golfer, you can get to the top of your swing and a thought can pop into your head. And actually you can actually get, you can approach the ball you know, and uh, you can be very close to hitting it and a thought can pop into your head and suddenly you're trying to save the shot. So let's be clear, the brain and the nervous system trump sport for speed every single time. Now, what we know, what we can strongly hypothesize, if we know that the brain and the nervous system are throwing out thoughts and feelings and judgments all the time. So I'm on the court there playing basketball, 
and I'm making judgments. That is the way my brain is designed. If we got a bit deeper about that, that is an evolutionary construct. It helps us survive. You know, we, we, we have to have that mechanism. Otherwise, we wouldn't have seen the saber-toothed tiger out of the corner of our eye and be able to make a very quick judgment as to whether we're going to fight it or run away. And I'm sorry to get a bit deep there, but that is the reality of it. We wouldn't have survived otherwise. Uh, the, the people who didn't survive are the ones, well, we don't have ancestors like that. They died off, right? So, so that is the way our brain and nervous system is designed. It's to judge what's going on around us. It's constantly scanning. Um, and there's an interesting actually theory here from a guy called Dennis Prophet, who I believe is based at Northwestern University. And it's, and th- sorry to th- throw a geeky uh, psychological term in here. It's called embodied perception theory. And that theory states that our nervous system is constantly scanning our environment and calculating the costs of actions that we're going to, that we want to execute. You know, so if it's that last minute burst of running that we've got to do to uh, catch that court quarterback or to run after that striker, our nervous system might be saying to ourselves, oh, no, we're just too exhausted for that and just completely pack up. So you don't run as fast or as hard. OK, so you don't expend as much effort. We want to say that effort is a controllable factor. It's actually not, not to those who are not mentally skilled. So I'm going to try and go off my tangent now and come back to the main point, but that's still relevant. The fact is our brain and nervous system are working milliseconds. They're constantly scanning our environment, constantly throwing out judges, judgments. And what we also know, and this is capturing on the work of a very famous psychologist called Martin Seligman who is very well known for his work in positive psychology. Some of your audience will recognize the name. And he has a very strong hypothesis that, again, a lot of our thoughts and our judgments and our feelings are negative. Our, 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 our brain and nervous system love to bookmark failure. It loves to say, oh, I've made a mistake there. Don't do that again. And it replays that mistake in our mind and it blows it up. So we're kind of distracted. We're focusing on the mistake we've just made and play is going on. So we've got to have the capacity to overcome these. We've got to have the capacity to pay attention, to pay attention on the task at hand. That's difficult. Our brain and nervous system are designed to distract us. We have to, we have to have the capacity to play with absolute maximum mental effort, to have physical effort. Again, our brain and nervous system are actually anti that. We also have to have the capacity to play with positive intent constantly. Positive intent with every single action, every single motion, every single movement. Again, I would argue that we have the capacity to play inhibited a lot of the time, to throw inhibited, to pass inhibited. So, Summing up my my quite long-winded answer, Mark, is this notion of we have to have, in my humble opinion, mental skills. Mental skills. The 21st century basketball player, soccer player, American footballer, if I may put that term American in front of football just to denote it, but baseball, um, uh, lacrosse player, which I know is quite big in America, etc., etc. All these sports, the golf swing, the tennis stroke, we have to have the capacity to execute these under pressure consistently. To do that, we have to have mental skill or mental skills, mental techniques. That is so important. To me, we need self-regulation techniques. We need a game face. We need um, we need to be able to manage our negative thoughts or at least have the capacity to ignore them and play on. There's so many dynamics there. And that's just the on-court or the on-pitch or the on-course stuff, the capacity to be coachable, the capacity to manage our personality characteristics that so often get in our way, the capacity to play as a teammate, to lead others, to lead myself, to develop relationships, to have self-skills such as self-awareness, self-regulation, self-reflection, the capacity to motivate myself, you know, the capacity for a coach to be able to motivate others others and help others motivate themselves there's there's such a rich landscape and we really have just touched we just touched the surface of it and I think we all as a group coaches players parents auxiliary staff such as sports scientists strength and conditioning coaches we need to do that better we need to work together to do that better and then we become better technicians tacticians and physical specimens and we can actually execute those under pressure more consistently 
and then we we actually become better athletes there's so many elements to that that are interesting to me i'd like to tease out what you were talking about in terms of the importance of intention mm. because you know one of the things that over the last year and a half, almost two years, yeah, two years now, I've been really doing a lot of my own, uh, you know, kind of investigation and work into the ideas that are inherent in ecological dynamics and where that fits in terms of understanding a player's behavior on the field. And I know we always talk about, you know, the constraints on a player being the task and the, you know, the physical constraints, the organismic constraints, as well as the environment and how that does in fact channel and shape the way in which we perceive potentially the information and how that even further shapes the behavior that we have on the field or the solution, as I like to kind of think about it, to the, to the movement problem that's inherently happening in front of us. And I know that I keep coming back to the word intention because I keep feeling like that word intention and where it fits in terms of the task, in terms of the organism, in terms of the way it shapes the behavior and the way that they're going to internalize that information seems very fascinating to me. And I wonder from your perspective, I keep thinking intention living within the actual psychoses of the actual player and where they're coming from. And I'm just, I'm just curious if you can help me and I'm sure my audience out there, because I know that I've talked about this, this idea of intention being crucial because you talk about being on the pitch, you talk about being on the ice or the court or the field, and you're on the, in that moment, there's an intention based on what you're trying to accomplish. But as you talked about, intention can even be uh, sabotaged can even sabotage your behavior and sabotage what you tend to, in, to to do. You know, it could make a pass poor or better, depending upon your, like you said, the capacity to remain in that moment. And I'm just curious if you can kind of talk about intention and where you feel it fits in terms of movement behavior on the field for your athletes. Oh, look. That this is such a good question, and and can I just say to frame it, I'm such a fan of ecological dynamics, and and this is somebody who clearly grew up as an information processor, right? And and oh, you did, really, you did, oh, hugely so. I mean, oh wow, I mean, I come from golf. Excuse man. everybody else out there listening to us as we geek out a little bit because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was always about memorize, you know, and I, I know this is the wrong term for it, but sort of muscle memory, but that's the wrong term. I understand that, but ingraining, ingraining technique and and rep re repetition not repetition without repetition just repetition and 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 creating consistent movements and um i went on a journey a couple of years ago uh with help from you know great practitioners such as you know your very own sean mishka who yes. works a lot in the nfl who's brilliant and um uh, uh over over here uh rick shuttleworth who dr rick shuttleworth who was who's an aussie who I had the pleasure of working with uh, at england rugby who's a great uh, uh, academic when it comes to ecological dynamics. But look, yes, I was very much on the information processing. So, so we, we repeat, we repeat, we repeat, and, 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 and we memorize. And um, I, I try to take myself above the ecological dynamics and the information processing argument and, and sort of look at both worlds. And I think it's fascinating, and I haven't committed myself either way. I actually think... Yeah, I think there's an interesting role for repetition within ecolo ecological dynamics. That, but I, I'm too new to the discipline to have that conversation. But what I'll say is this, and this is an interesting ongoing debate I have with ecological dynamicists, because as you've alluded, as you mentioned, not even alluded to, as you've mentioned, ecological dynamics dynamicists will look at that triangle and they'll say let's let's have a representative learning design uh and let's uh, manipulate the task if that's the right term or 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 um the person uh or the environment which is obviously less so but it's often do, often to do with the task and if we do that really well then we're going to have a representative learning design and that gives uh, competitors more of a chance to go out and compete uh, with the skills that they need and in the manner in which um, they have to execute those skills. And I feel, and I don't want to do anybody a disservice here, and I might be, hey, look, I'm, I'm willing to be completely wrong with this. I feel there's a little gap here, especially around the person 
area, the, the organism. Because, and it does come back to, you use that term sabotage, but I'll go with Seligman's notion of the negative brain and nervous system. I'll go with Dennis Prophet's embodied perception theory. I'll go with Damasio's, Antonio Damasio's somatic marker hypothesis, which says our attention is bound to turn inward and actually monitor our um, bodies uh, often. And we cannot control that. That is Antonio Damasio's hypo- strong hypothesis. So all this, let's go with Gabriel Wolf's external focus. Absolutely fine and absolutely cool, and I understand that. I'm going to put my focus out into the envi- environment, out into the task. I get that. But our attention will turn inward at times, and we are going to judge how we feel. And we are going to, this word judgment again, we are going to judge what's happening in our environment. What are the opposition like? How are my teammates playing? What is going on here? What is the coach thinking about me? What are my teammates thinking about me? How am I doing with relation to what I, how I want to be doing? How am I doing in relation to what I know about my responsibilities within my role? That I'm arguing is how we're designed as organisms. And so what I'm saying, it doesn't Monday to Friday, if we've got a game, we've got a match at the weekend, right? Monday to Friday, we can we can have this representational learning design. That's fine. And I get that. And the closer, the more representative, representative you make it, the better. Great, fine, fantastic. And there's some great stuff going on there. And I wouldn't argue against that. But what I would say is organisms, as in people, need skills, techniques to be able to maintain positive intent at all times because that positive intent will become inhibited. And according to these theories, according to these hypotheses, according to how we are as human beings, how we are as organisms, that is evolutionary going to happen. Sport is self-management. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, ecological dynamicists. And they, hey, I might be wrong here. They might not be denying this. But if if cognition is intent, if attention is intention or intent, no problem with that. But intent will be disrupted, in my opinion, by, by sabotage by the organism themselves. So this is what I say. This is what I say as a sports psychologist. In my opinion, empower players, competitors, by helping them put mindset first, or at least extremely high on their priority list, because they will sabotage, because they will go into threat mode at times, because they will go into inhibited mode at times. You know what? I'm going to give you a perfect example here. This happened today. This happened today. I'm, I'm doing a bit of work with the Lawn Tennis Association here, right? The LTA. Uh, the world's biggest uh, uh, biggest uh, tennis association. Hey, we don't produce many good Brit tennis players, right? I'll give you that. But it's a big tennis association. And we were talking about Roger Federer today. And some of the coaches were talking, and I can go, only go on what they said. They felt a fight. So we've just finished Wimbledon here. I don't know when this broadcast is going to be broadcast, but we've just finished Wimbledon. And Federer lost to Djokovic. And they were talking about the players I was working with and the, ten- and the coaches were talking about how Federer went in to a threat mode at 5-3 up in a couple of the tie breaks. Um, He became inhibited. And they said Djokovic became inhibited as well. His positive intent with his strokes were lost. And he became a little bit guidey and a little bit steery. And Federer at times, just little pockets of moment, they felt as experts watching from the outside in that they both became a bit inhibited at times. Golfers do this in the back nine of a major championship. The, the the classic example is obviously Greg Norman in 1996 or Rory McIlroy. I think it was in 2012 um, uh, um, when he when he choked in inverted commas in the Masters. But this happens the world over in every sport week in week out. It's not just choking; it's also about not retaining a sense of positive intent, a front foot. Okay, an intent with a stroke, an intent with a pass. I'd urge your audience, whatever they sport, they play or they coach to to picture what that positive intent looks like with every motion, every movement, every action that they've got to execute. I wouldn't be the expert in the language that they would use with their specific sport. It might be a positive intent in the gym. And I'm sure 
uh, SNC coaches who work with weightlifters uh, or, or, or athletes who have to spend a lot of time in the gym will say, sometimes my, my athletes don't execute their weightlifting program or their program in the gym with positive intent. What does that look like? What might that feel like to them? Executing with positive intent. And if I may say, this is where my technique of a game face will come in. I'll give you a working example. So I'm working with a player who played in the Champions League final, that big soccer uh, tournament in Europe. Um, and he played on June the 1st in that massive, one of the biggest soccer games in the world. And that uh, player had a game face of uh, dominant and relentless, dominant and relentless. Now, let me tell you how you work on that with a player, a game face. His game face was dominant and relentless. So you will tap into memory and imagination. So you'll ask the player about them at their very best. That's memory. Tell me about you at your best. And you might tap into imagination, imagination being a dream game or a dream performance. So tell me about your dream game, your dream performance. And what you want to elicit from their memory, from their imagination are key words, key action based words. They have to be able to act them out, enact them. So if we're going to go on ecological dynamics, ecological dynamics would work from an embodied, embedded and inactive, enacted point of view. Okay, it's very much embodied cognition. And, 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 and so what I want to hear from that competitor is what they're like within their environment, embedded, embedded, an action based word. So embodied that they act out, enacted within their environment. Okay, embodied, embedded, enacted. It can also be extended as well, extended into their environment. So. This player in particular would say, Dan, you know what? Now you're saying this. When I'm at my best, I'm dominant. Well, tell me about dominant and don't stop there. Get them to explain what dominant looks like. I'm dominant in the air. I'm dominant in the challenge. I'm dominant getting forward. I'm dominant getting back. So we're talking about soccer-specific stuff here. I'm dominant with my passes. I'm also relentless. What does relentless look like? What does it relentless feel like? What do others look like when they're relentless? When you're when you're relentless in the you know getting forward, getting back, doing the things you've got to do, covering your man, etc., etc. What does that look like? What does it feel like? Now here's the key. Here's the key. This is the key part, and this is what we would call in psychology or my interpretation, goal achievement theory. Goal achievement theory suggests that we want to, you've got an ego orientation, which is much more of, of I've got to win, I've got to perform. And then we've got a mastery orientation, which would be around the controllables of performance and around probably more around mindset as well. So I'm getting them into the controllables of performance and the mindset, and that's very much geared around that game face. So with that player going into the Champions League final and in any other game he was playing, it's what does dominant relentless look like? What does dominant relentless look like? Can you show me that? Can you show the, the crowd that? Can you show your teammates that? Can you execute every single action, every single motion, every single movement in the style of dominant and relentless? Can you be nonstop with that? And now after the game, I want you to give me a mark out of 10 with that. And you can have so much fun with this. You don't have to stop at keywords. You can have pictorial metaphors. So I've got a soccer player who might be confident, relentless lion. Lion because we had some fun with an animal technique. Okay, what does confident, relentless look like in an animal kingdom perspective? It's a lion. Now you get a bit of a chuckle from competitors when they say that. But hey, that's the way we function as human beings, you know. So it, it, you can use a model player. You can use you know, a, a brick wall or some kind of uh, pictorial image. There can be all kinds of things you can play with. But the main thing is you're attaching it to the controllables of play. So if you've got a player who might, again, if you don't mind, I'm going to stick with soccer here. If a soccer player says, the central defender says, I've got to win my headers. And that's say uh, that that's a performance factor that's out of his control, but he knows he wants to be able, she wants to be able to do that. Okay, what have you got? Well, I've got to jump strong. I've got to jump strong in the air, and then you attach it to a game face. I've got to str- jump strong in the air. Okay, I'm going to do that in the style of my game face, which looks like dominant strong lion. Okay, I've got to jump high in the air, dominant strong lion. 
So we're actually attaching little key coaching points to a game face. They're controllable coaching points to a game face, which is around positive intent, dominant, strong line, for instance. I've got to stay dominant, strong. I've got to be, I've got to jump high in the start of dominant, strong line. So you've got a positive intent around coaching point there. So, so coming back to, I don't know if I'm going off piece, but I don't think I am. It's very much you know what, Mark? Yes, I, I hear ecological dynamics. Yes, it's about manipulating time. Yeah, but we still need the organiz- organism to stay in charge of him or herself. How have a game face, have, have mental skills that help them have positive intent because the op- opposite is inhibition. The opposite is a threat response rather than a challenge response. There's some great research around there from Dr. Mark Jones at Staffordshire University here in England, challenge and threat response, which is a great uh, psychosocial theory, um, which is really worth looking at. Um, So we've got to be in that challenge response, that approach response, which is positive intent. And we have to do everything as competitors to stay there. And some days you've got to work really, 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 really hard to be able to do that. And that's where your mental skills of body language and self-talk, game face, etc., all controllable plays come in together. You know, I'm curious as I'm as I'm listening to this because it was first of all it was absolutely brilliant because I picked up the number of notes I wrote down while you were speaking was just amazing and there's you've given me more to read so now I have a lot more to read um, but my question was was going back to and I and I think that this is something that I, I kind of I'm kind of right there with you currently I, you know when we talk about ecological dynamics and we talk about where psychology fits into it um, you know. I think this is where that world of intention is sometimes left to be unpacked later. And I'm glad that you spent so well, so much time and eloquently going through what intention was. And it leads me to this, this kind of other point, which is authenticity and where that sits with a player. Because in other words, the game face um, skill and the game face tool that, that you utilize with your players that's individualized, am I correct? To a particular player, to a particular moment. It how how does the where does explain to me a little bit about game face and how maybe different players wear different faces, but yet functionally on the field in terms of completing their task, in terms of what they're trying to do, um, is still being met. It, how does that differ? How do game faces kind of differ and Absolutely. I would love for you to talk some about your some of your other uh, skills that you work on with your players as well, because that window really does connect the moment to the intention in my mind in a, in a very unique way. And, I'm, and I and I found it fascinating. Yeah. And, and I think that, uh, I mean, f- first of all, let me be clear, this is not a criticism of ecological dynamicists because um, they might very well turn around and say, hang on, Dan, this is, you know, we believe this. We agree with you. This is what we what we do. Um, so, so that's cool. That's fine. no, I, 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 I do but, think I do think ecological dynamicists would would agree. I, I personally, I mean, again, I, I, but like yourself, I am far from an expert in anything. I am reading and reading and, 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 and in a very, very humbling way with many of the people that you mentioned, Sean Mishka and, and gentlemen of that ilk that are practicing this. I am a far cry from that, but I, I am trying to die to digest it as, as thoughtfully as possible. And I do yeah. think that they would say, no, no, no. I think what you're describing is where maybe this fits in terms of understanding how intention does make up their framework a little bit more in depth. Like where does intention, what does that really mean? We say intent, but what does it yeah. really mean? So I, I think they yeah. would agree. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being yeah, presumptuous. It, what, no, no, no. It's, it's your intent onto the task or onto the environment. And, and I think that obviously I'm, I'm ecological dynamicists tend to be environmentalists, if you like, if that's the right term. They very much look at the environment and say, okay, you know, the environment will, will, will attract us. And, and I'm saying, well, how do I execute my skills onto the environment or into the environment? You know, how do I uh, jump into the air to catch that football? Do 
I want to do that in a certain style? So actually, when I was lead psychologist for England rugby for a little bit, um, and we talk about catching catching high balls, for instance, you know, the ball can be sent up really high in rugby and working with some of the players who had, who played in, say, a fullback position in rugby had to catch high balls and had to do so under immense pressure from 20 stone monsters uh, running them down, um, you know, which obviously that would turn their attention towards the 20 stone monster rather than the capacity to actually catch the ball optimally effectively. Um, you know, it's I want to catch the ball in an aggressive and focused way you know if that might be their game face so so actually the reason why i'm telling you that because it's actually answering part of your question is that that, that the game face can be context specific it can be a specific area of the game you know most sports are split into different um different sections if you like different things different different responsibilities and different roles and different parts of the game and you can have a game face for different parts of the game as long as it's not too cognitively uh and affective overwhelming for a player so it doesn't overload them too much from a thinking perspective um but as you quite rightly say it's individual specific and the individual specific will will vary on so many things from from a player's nervous system and that's sort of a hypothesis from me but clearly there are competitors within the same sports who would be more akin to saying hey my game face when i'm at my best i'm aggressive and dominant and then you might have somebody who plays in the same sport who would say, I'm cool and calm, you know, so, 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 so they might make a game face more to do with those words than aggressive and dominant because aggressive and dominant might make them over aroused, if you like, uh, too mentally intense. And so subsequently it plays havoc with their focus of attention, um, their emotion and subsequently their motor skills. So it is absolutely going to be. Um, individual specific so the art of asking the right question is really important for the coach you know you've got to make it individual that's why it's got to come you elicit it from um 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 uh, memory and imagination it's got to come from the player you can make suggestions because the players will often sit there and say oh i don't know or i'm not sure and you've really got to promote this idea of action-based words you know because decision making i get a lot of players oh, I'll, I'll make good decisions well you can't act enact that one out it's interesting you said about authentic i would actually say a game face the game face is the personality you want to be it's the attitude you want to have it's how you want to go about your business it's your optimal physical state and your optimal mental state and and it, for me it's actually a combination mark of authentic and inauthentic uh, processes you know because i think that's a very interesting one i have a lot of, i've had a debate with people on twitter sorry about being authentic and well hold on hold on you know at times at crunch times at moments of of um of uh pressure actually you want to be inauthentic and there's a lot of there's a lot of players if we were to talk about personality characteristics you know there's a lot of very very world-class athletes who would score high on an agreeableness scale so from a personality perspective and this would have to be another podcast i'm sure but you know if there's five there's five uh it's generally agreed by uh, personality scientists that there's five personality dimensions there may be six there's the bait there but generally five and one of them is is agreeableness uh and what you tend to find is competitors are low agreeable uh a a section of which is being or an aspect of which is being uh, tough-minded rather than tender-minded but actually what you find that there's some very skillful athletes who are quite naturally tender-minded you know who are, are are not necessarily confrontation confrontational and if they play a sport that's quite confrontational where they have to be tough-minded it goes against the grain of their um i would say i would say hereditary inclined personality and so although that's up for debate and so the capacity to be confrontational and tough-minded they need a nudge there they need a game face that's going to help them do that that gets them into higher um sorry low agreeable so um you know you might have to have an inauthentic game face that helps you become the kind of personality you need to be on the pitch and that for me is when coaches say hey he or she has got it or they haven't got it 
They're competitors or they're not. Uh Uh-huh. No. Let's get good at mental skills here. Let's actually create a game face. Let's give them the kind of what I call controllers, which are self-regulation techniques, the capacity to have self-talk and body language that helps them have positive intent, uh, be a bit more tough-minded, be a bit more front foot, be a little bit more um, confrontational, uh, for 90 minutes or 80 minutes or however long the game lasts or for the burst of one minute that they need. I'm thinking of American football there. Um, so, so, so yeah, just a bit, being a little bit more that way. That's what a game face is all about. But you're quite right. Look, let's think about this individual specific based on the responsibility in their role, based on who they are as individuals that can be inauthentic and authentic combination or completely inauthentic or completely authentic you know so so that that's there's a dynamic there but it can be it needs to be co-created by coach you know it's a great way to develop relationships no and and i think it's again fantastic daniel fantastic because it brings me back to something that i keep mulling around in my own brain about well, then, you know, from an evaluative perspective, if we're trying to identify talent or if we're trying to acknowledge what uh, an athlete should look like that will compete at the highest of levels or is going to compete for our particular team, it makes me keep mulling over, like, you know, to, to begin to try to reduce the athlete down to a certain number of areas, maybe selling that athlete in times maybe short of really who they are individually as a person and what they're capable of doing on the field. And what I mean by that is, I guess what I'm saying is rather than look at what the components are of what make them great and look for players with those components, then maybe we should just be asking is how do they go about doing their job first and foremost? And are they functional in terms of what they're doing on the field in terms of what you're looking for? And then we can begin to help them maybe reach their quote unquote uh, peak levels of performance or potential. Hey, that's really interesting because as you're speaking now, I'm thinking about the whole holism versus reductionism debate. Correct, you know, correct. Goes, exactly. goes on. And, and I, I, I think it's a combination. I really do. I'm having some debates, great, great debates, uh, but, but, but good, you know, friendly, um, um, robust debates with good people behind the scenes who would say, who are actually, again, actually they're ecological dynamicists. So they're very much in terms of holism. Uh, and, and look, I think they've, they've helped me. They've helped me understand that when you, when you do have conversations around reducing to uh, various components or a number of components, you've still got to have that conversation with the whole in mind. I think it's really important. And I think you've made a really salient point there that, you know, I I think what you've got to do is just stop saying whether that person has it or doesn't have it and and look at the whole to begin with. What is that pitch? Sorry, what is that person doing on the court or the course or the pitch or the ice or the pool or whatever? Look at that and, and, and then have that conversation in your head, if I may say, around behavior. Okay, so let's start with behavior. Let's what behavior? What are what are that person's outcome? outcomes what, what, what behaviors am I, am I seeing and then have a conversation with yourself with others with the athlete him or herself around and 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 start to break that down a little bit right I'm seeing these outcomes I'm seeing these behaviors um, and then it becomes a trickier conversation it becomes you've got this is where you you've got to be a good coach you know and you've got to be a good good coach of the various components you know including the psychological side you know and and this is where i as a psychologist will try to strip this back and help this help coaches understand it easier and i would say this is where you you might have a conversation around right attention intensity and intention so what what is this person what might this person be attending to or placing their attention on is it the task at hand or are they being distracted what is the intensity here is the intensity the right intensity or they are they as we would say in psychology that horrible term of a term of over aroused and under aroused um and then the intent and obviously, the intent has best relationship with around, um, uh, intensity and attention. Hey, it doesn't get easier, does it? Right. Yeah. So, but but then it's but but then you're having conversations around the whole. You've still got to consider the whole. So I'm kind of I'm hypothesizing that this person, you know, 
is getting it, you know, I can see you're getting angry with yourself there. You're getting frustrated. I can see you're you're getting too intense there. And that's damaging your focus of attention. Look, you're you're getting angry about stuff here that's taking away from the task at hand. The ability to hit that forehand winner, if we're going to talk about um um tennis, the ability to scan the court to see the bodily cues from the opponent, you know, the ability to get your footwork right, or if it's a soccer player the ability to anticipate quicker quickly the ability to th- see the 360 degree view the ability to make great decisions you know same with the basketball player you know so so, so the cognitive skills essentially to have great intent but that comes back to having anger so there is one component there we're breaking that down to so what we know is we know that what i'm putting to you mr or mrs athlete is that you've got to manage your anger better and when you do that, what is the whole going to look like? You know, you, you might w- start winning those points outcome by having behaviors whereby, you know, you execute that ground stroke with positive intent. And from a technical perspective, um, you're releasing the racket through the ball. Um, your footwork is good. You're doing all that work in the gym to build your strength and you can actually muscle it there. Um, but, you know, into deep into the court, the op- opposition's court. Um, and that's all comes down to dealing with anger better. You know, so so it's playing a dance, isn't it, Mark? It's playing a dance between holism and reductionism. And that would always be my argument. But you know what? Excuse me. You know what? The the, the, the ecological dynamics have it right. You've got to look at the whole. You can't just break it down to the components all the time. Think of the components or think of the whole while you have a conversation around the components. Well, and I think what's fascinating about what you were talking about, Dan, is, is that you're also almost kind of tangentially circling the wagon, so to speak, around the idea of having something. This is something that I, I've had a chance to, to ask, uh, uh, like you said earlier, Sean Mishka about, and this is something that I know he was really meditating on and ruminating on recently over the past year or so, and something that I've I've really kind of turned myself into kind of thinking about more, which is really the nature of the problem that they're dealing with in its entirety. You know, as we observe the player within the context, we better make gosh darn sure we're, we're assessing the context as clearly and thoughtfully as possible. So we can begin to, as, as almost like it sounds, it's fascinating to, to probably work in your field as you begin to back solve this into trying to begin to understand what the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the kind of roots are or the springs of, of, of emotion are coming from where they're coming from. It's it's making sure that we really appraise the the problem itself because maybe the problem is as is more important in many ways at times than the actual behavior because of the way it's all being influenced and like you said it gets even more complex as we keep talking about this but but rightfully so it is a dance like there is a lot that is being integrated but understanding that problem that the player is facing in that moment is probably really crucial to to it in any form of analysis very well said and I, and you use the word i should have used you know within my diatribe there which was con- context you know it's so so important looking at that competitor compete within context you know and as i suppose coming from the world of golf golf we're very very guilty as coaches as hit some you know person comes for a a lesson that the we take them out onto the range no matter their ability and they start hitting shots and um you know goodbye mechanists will say themselves that actually how you swing on the range when you're uh, dragging in ball after ball will be different to how you swing when you hit uh you, you know your driver off the first tee there and then you've got a four minute wait and then you're hitting the five iron into the green and uh, and then a wedge or a putt or whatever and it's a, then you've got a downhill line uphill lie you've got you've got all kinds of and and even with your eyes visual perception when, when, when you see a hole that that, that that there's trees encroaching and stuff like that that's going to shift your swing hypothetically so context is enormously important here enormously important um so so i, I completely agree and I, I think an interesting point here and again um i would uh put to ecological dynamicists is the context of players um objectives as well and goals and and 
again, this is, comes from the internal, and, and I know that, that ecological dynamicists uh, might not necessarily like to use the term belief system because, again, they're looking for, for, at, at the external more than the internal, and that might be my naivety, so please excuse me if it, if it is. But I find it very interesting that, and I'm coming from the world of soccer here, um, what you find is that players, player movements, actions, especially with young players, young players are very uh, inf- influenced by the very best players and I had this recently with a young player at an academy who was a striker and the coaches wanted him to um, uh, build certain skills very much the skill of receiving the ball um, and uh, passing it believe it or not just pass it doing some simple stuff um, but this this person was very influenced is very influenced by the 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 soccer player Neymar um, and and so entrenched uh, in this person's uh, I think e- ecological dynamics would call it intent uh, information processes might call it beliefs um, is this idea of Neymar and, and I want to play by like Neymar um, and so the intent is I want to play like Neymar and, and this is push-pull of this co- these coaches going play it simple play it simple play it simple but this play even though these play these coaches uh, you know this person's career depends on the decisions of these, these, these coaches this player is so um, affixed to Neymar's play and it's like, I've got to dribble I've got to dribble around everybody I've got that that's that's how it is you know and 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 so there's this dynamic here does that come from within is that an external you know that's up for debate so I I think that um that bears uh, an impact on what we're what what we're saying as well within context it's the context of um how you know what the environment is in terms of the competition but it's also the context of who the player is personality of the the if i may say beliefs of that player how that player who that player likes how that player intends to go about his business if i was to be a bit more environmental about it um so i i think that the context is a very 360 a very external and inward influence in my opinion Dan, I, I, I got to tell you something as we begin. I mean, I, again, I could, we, I, we could talk for hours because <laughs> this is something that I would, I don't think you'll find many uh, ecological, at least in my personal opinion, my understanding of it. I think this is, is, is very much in harmony with a lot of the ideas. And I would think that it's the, that understanding of the pressure fatigue and the psychology of the situation that does in hap, does in fact shape a lot of the behavior that we see on the field as well. It plays a role for sure. And I, I think you'd be remiss if I said I, I, I'm right there with you trying to understand just exactly how that kind of cocktail is made, uh, exactly what ingredients those are and to what degree. And I think those are going to be those questions that we keep asking. But to your point earlier, at least we're talking about these things. At least we're asking these questions and beginning a dialogue that can help performers, kind of athletes in general and coaches, reach that next plateau. And can I, sorry to interject, uh, no, of course. I, I think it's really important to say, you know, these, these, these guys have, uh, guys and girls have accelerated my knowledge uh, of coaching massively. You know, I'm a sports psychologist, but I also am a student of coaching and a student of skill acquisition and I owe them nothing but thanks. I'm just curious, you know, I'm curious and I, I'm curious uh, to somebody, a guy called Marco Sullivan that some of your listeners wouldn't have heard of. He's from the world of soccer. He, they have a wonderful project where he is in sweden he's he's irish but he's in sweden at aik which is in um, a club in um uh, stockholm and and I, I i don't agree with everything those guys say but i agree with lots and i learn loads from them and hopefully they learn a tiny little bit back from me but i love what he says in terms of if information processing is memorized then ecological dynamics is recognized not to memorize what one has to do it's to recognize what's going on in the moment and act appropriately within that context and i just love that and i just wonder i just wonder mark whether we uh, in terms of terms of this organism stuff the individual side of things in this three-pronged triangle 
if we can, if it's learning to recognize our individual states or our individual personality or our individual game faces or, you know, the individual intent that we need, that we want to sustain. I just wonder if we could use this. It's not memorizing stuff. It's, it's, it's recognizing who we are, for instance, as from a personality, which would be a big part of my job and recognizing how we need to adapt with regard who we are. It's recognizing when we're at our best, this is our game face or we're in our dream game. This is who we want to be recognizing that and recognizing how to do that in the moment. And what I love about ecological, when I, it's nimble, Mark, it's nimble rather than memorize, which just feels a little bit stayed and a bit flat footed. It's very nimble. And so I recognize this moment on the pitch. I see what the defender's doing. So, you know, when I see that clue, as Dr. Rick Shuttleworth would said, not cue or trigger, but a clue, then I know that I'm going, I've got to do this action and I'm go- I recognize I've got to do this action and I recognize I've got to do this action in the style of my game face. So I have this kind of positive intent. I'm just perhaps hypothesizing that we can bring in a bit more of that. That's where my work is potentially coming in. I, I think that's absolutely brilliant. To, to know yourself is to be the ultimate key to everything really in this world in many ways. So your, your, your work and what you do with athletes, getting them really essentially, if I can really probably in a very poor fashion, not oversimplify it, but to, but to kind of put a framework around it is better understanding themselves as a competitor and who they are and, and what they need to do in order to operate in their chosen field at the highest of levels. And I think that is, is that fair before I say like, that's kind of where I feel is that, is that a fair, a fair, a description in some ways absolutely absolutely self skills and I, w- I would say it's that's a foundation for coaches uh, of any of any discipline it's a foundation for players those self skills being self awareness self regulation self reflection i think those go those go hand in hand but you're specifically talking from the self skills about self awareness and it's absolutely vital you know knowing uh, strengths and virtues um and knowing those strengths and virtues can actually at times be weaknesses uh, and and it's also knowing uh, potentially knowing what you know your your areas of weakness if i'm going to use that term might be and 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 being able to adapt um so i i can't agree now in information processing we 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 might use the term metacognition to help that meta skills to think about your thinking to think about your 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 feeling um and i suppose in if we're going to keep this theme in the world of ecological dynamics i I don't 100 percent know what that would be but it, it it's just becoming attuned i suppose to tuning into connecting with um, who you might be in certain situations, etc. No, and I think that's beautiful, and I and I think that you're 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 right there, and I would agree that you know it, it, the first thing I was thinking about, not for our listeners out there that are kind of saying. When are we going to talk about sports more? <laughs> to all them out there, I promise we'll we'll we'll, we'll get back to it. We're going to get back to it soon. Um, but I, I mean, it just it brought us off into this world of of you know, in tangent where I was thinking about prospective control and that idea within, you know, ecological dynamics about being able to adapt and adjust as information changes as you're performing an action, how all of a sudden you're like, I can't really run as fast as I was able to 20 minutes ago. So now my solutions to this problem have to adapt and change. And I'm, and I, and I think what's fascinating is that I wonder to what degree we're doing that emotionally. To what degree do we have that emotional perspective control? And we're, we're doing that as our emotions are changing. Are we in attuned to those things? And are we prepared for the engagements that are about to ensue? And that's where I assume a lot of, like I said, like you said earlier, game faces and, and skills like that really come into play. Daniel, I, I know we've, we've gone on and I, and I know that I want to be respectful of your time and, and we would, I would love to have you again to really unpack some of this more in the future. But I mean, for, for listeners that are now completely sold, if they're not sold, then you understand why I am sold on the sports psych show and literally everything Daniel works on. For, like I said, from if you're a golfer out there, golf tough, soccer, if you're a soccer coach, soccer brain and soccer tough one and two. And I know you even have a free mental toughness for football ebook that you share with people as well. If people want to get familiar with your work and, and get, um, get attuned to what you're talking about, 
where, how, how can they start? How can they contact you? What would you recommend? Well, my, uh, very simple. My website is danabrahams.com danabrahams.com where as you said you can download that ebook which i wrote some time ago and and but but it's still very applicable with possibly some ideas of my own that have updated um i um i have uh, as you've as you've mentioned uh which are very kind of you, the Sports Psych Show uh, podcast, um, which, as its name suggests, is all about sports psychology, but getting an array of diverse array array of figures. Um, uh, you can purchase my books um, uh, on Amazon and all good online retailers. And look, yep, they're soccer-oriented uh, mainly, one golf one, but I really think they're relevant for any um, sports. I, I really, really do. Um, and, I'm, oh, I'm trying to think here twitter uh i actually have three twitter uh, accounts but the main one is uh, i'm a sad man on our mark it's uh, dan abrahams the main one is dan abrahams 77 giving away my age there but dan abrahams 77 is my main one um and uh, instagram dan, a- dan abrahams sports uh and uh, facebook dan abrahams soccer is a pretty good one because i write articles most days actually um, and post them up on uh both linkedin and then on to facebook so that follow that on dan abrahams soccer um and i think uh yeah i think that's me so uh if anybody has any questions or uh would like to work with me or wants to reach out um then uh, do give me a shout please do Dan Abrahams happens to be one of the most incredible finds for me over the last year in terms of his work. And I can't recommend his podcast enough. Um, It is absolutely latent with tons and tons of thought provoking information that really has made me think about the game of American football differently myself as a coach. And even myself as a former player um, in my respective sports, wondering really in, um, in, in a way of how I was doing what I was doing when I was playing, you know, any game. Because, you know, at some point in time, you know, who you are as a person is very much going to be the footprint you leave in the sport that you play in or the sport that you coach in. And I think getting to know that person, that yourself, who you are as a competitor is really what I think Dan's podcast, as well as all of his books, as well as the e-manual, I think that's where it begins to ask you some of those questions and how you can begin to apply skills to become more proficient in those respective ways. Dan, thank you so much for being a guest on the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. Thank you so much for the invite. I look forward to coming back on in the future. Thank you, Mark. So for everybody else out there, I cannot tell you enough. If you've enjoyed this as the summer seminar series keeps rolling along, you know, I hope this unique perspective on the game that is sport. Again, we, we talk football, but American football is not the only sport. <laughs> as many of our listeners may forget. It is not the only sport. There are many sports out there, but within the competitive levels of play, there are truths that I think that we can begin to dig down and hopefully this podcast gave you an opportunity to gain some understanding in those respects. I want to thank Dan on behalf of myself as well. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us, for giving us that time. And please join us next time as we take you from Saturday to Sunday.